Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. So grateful for Paul and Nikki, the work they do to make this podcast sound so professional. Nikki does all the editing. Paul does the intros, outros, has been with me forever. So great to have this team of true professionals with us. We're so excited to have the mortgage professionals joining us around the nation. This is Monday, November 23rd, Thanksgiving week. And we're so grateful for you, our listeners. Again, this podcast is for you, mortgage professionals. And we're grateful that we have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information and an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Our hot topic is Tom Showalter coming on. He's the founder and CEO of Candor Fintech. I'm so excited to have him come on. This is the fourth in a four-part series of podcasts dealing with technology, what we're doing and helping underwriters underwrite more loans. We're certainly paying them a lot more money and many would say that's well-deserving. We're not going to argue with that, but now that you're making the extra money, we need to find a way to make them as effective and get our best return out of our investments. We've been doing a series of podcasts talking about underwriting technology. We've had some great podcasts. We had Joe Tyrell lead off the first week. Second week was Brent Chandler of Form Free. He did a great job. Then last week we had uh, Frank Poison for Black Knight and we've got Tom Showalter. So very excited to have him on. Tom was a rocket science in the aerospace technology industry. So we're going to be having some fun with that a little bit here, especially with Frank's comment last week about this isn't rocket science, it's worse. But anyway, more on that. Stay tuned to the second half. We're also proud to be a part of the industry syndicate.com. Check it out as well as Mortgage Media, two great places where you can listen to other great podcasts. Again, we promote podcasts everywhere. We're also pleased with our sponsors. Thank you, sponsors especially the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. On September 14th, we had Marina Walsh on talking about the profitability numbers and what's going on there. That was a great podcast. Also, a special thank you to Sodastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. is just so powerful. We had Steve Hoke on on August 24th talking about some of the things that Sodastra is doing, especially with data. Lenders One, we had Justin Demolia on back at June 1st. And then also, we've got the Mortgage Collaborative. We've got a pre-recorded podcast coming up here with Tom Gallucci. Mortgage Collaborative will be with us. Also, the Community Mortgage Letters Association, we also had Michael Jones on September 21st of this year. Did a great job. Go back and listen to that podcast. Also, Indicom, so grateful for them as sponsors. We had on Linda Bomar. So grateful to have all of our sponsors here be with us. So thank you very much. Also, a special thank you goes out to Accelerate. A thank you to Josh Friend. He was on in August 17th. Go back and listen to that podcast. Ainsworth Advisors, as listen to the updated podcast you'll find on the Ainsworth Advisory website, September 7th podcast. We had a good discussion on about that. Also, AI Assist, go listen to Roman Venfield, the podcast we did in July 15th about how you can use AI to artificially go out and connect with borrowers. And it's on the marketing side. So very good stuff. Celebrity Home Loans, as well as Innovient. Check out what Ted Kramer and his team is doing for some of the top mortgage companies in getting the best pricing, being competitive in the marketplace. Also, Knowledge Coop, Mobility, RE, Modix, Vilna, Vendorserve, Vidyard. So grateful to have all of them. And we're also so grateful to have Alice, Alan, Matt here each and every week for the podcast. Let's get over to Rob Van Rathpurst with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. 
Rob? I'm Rob Van Rappos. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA issued a final rule establishing a revised capital framework for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Under the terms of the final framework, the GSEs would have to hold a combined $283 billion in capital, which is $20 billion more than under the proposed rule, in order to avoid limits on capital distributions or discretionary bonuses. MBA President and CEO Bob Brooksmith released a statement expressing our disappointment that FHFA did not adequately address several concerns we raised when the framework was reproposed. Going forward, MBA has called for FHFA to conduct a quantitative impact study to determine the full market impact of this rule. MBA will also continue to advocate for important market conduct reforms to be put in place prior to the GSE's eventual exit from conservatorship. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Say a special thank you to all those at the MBA that do such a great job of helping our industry get to the right spot. They do their best, and I kid you not, they are so dedicated to our industry. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you doing that MBA Mortgage Minute each and every week. Let's get over to this week's TM Spotlight with Les Parker on the macro view of the markets. Les? From the very start, locked in down our hearts, be a lasting part of never-ending shots. Will COVID last forever? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Do rates rise? The Bears see economic resurgence continuing due to shorter hospital stays, more effective therapeutics, and now vaccines popping up everywhere throughout the developed world. Do rates fall? The bulls see Biden copying Europe's love affair with various forms of lockdowns. Despite the scientific evidence, they are ineffective and create many disastrous consequences. Will shutdowns last forever? These views are my own. Go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Appreciate the job they do on that. Yeah, this COVID stuff. For those of us who are healthy and taking this on, I just got the word from family members that I had a really dear friend pass away over the weekend from COVID. So I had a great uncle pass away here uh, two and a half weeks ago, and then over the weekend, another friend. So this is something to be taken seriously. You can't get that vaccine out fast enough, and it is definitely going to have an impact on the markets as we look forward to what the future holds. Oh, by the way, sign up for the Les Parker's TM Spotlight. And when you subscribe, put in the word power as you will get the paid version for free. We've got Matt, who is founder and CEO of MBS Live with his market update. So, yeah, 1.5 coupons. That's a fun story unto itself. A lot of times we talk about the curse of a new MBS coupon when we roll it out on MBS Live. And it's gotten to be a little bit of a running joke because of 2.5 coupons back in the day, it seemed like every time we'd add them to the MBS Live dashboard, then the bond market would lose ground. And so people started talking about 2.5 coupons being cursed. It wasn't a real thing, but more of an indication of bond market momentum, the natural propensity for bonds to correct a little bit after they've moved enough in a certain direction. But as you were just talking about, 2020 changed everything. COVID changed everything. Instantly created the need for 2.0 MBS coupons. And now we've gotten to 1.5. They have been trading for a couple months now behind the scenes and then not even behind the scenes over the past month. But we wait to see enough liquidity and to make sure they're not going to lead our members astray when it comes to thinking about what rates are going to be doing intraday and what reprice risks might be. So they're now bona fide. They're liquid enough that they are a good thing to watch. If you have a jumpier lender that's quicker to reprice and a lender that offers 
rates that are in the mid twos, which you know most are right now. Anyway, down to business real quick. Last week, talked about the balance of two things, hope versus fear. And it dovetails nicely into what you're saying about vaccines and also COVID being serious, is that we do have reasons for hope and the market knows it. And then there is a reason for fear because there is no telling exactly when the vaccine or whatever combination of vaccines or treatments will have whatever its beneficial effect that it's going to have on the economy sometime next year, likely. So we got to see how dark the dark times are between now and then and what type of economic impact that's going to have. We also got to see what type of permanent damage there's going to be. What jobs did we realize were dispensable all along? that we've only learned about because of the lockdown. And this is a dance that will continue in the coming months. And it's hard to say if uh, rates are going to ebb higher just because we're expecting things to eventually get better or if bonds are going to pay more attention to the here and now. It's a tough call when you're trading something like a 10-year treasury yield or a mortgage bond that has a duration that spans both the dark times right now, but then what we would hope to be stronger times in the future. Anyway. Markets were either trading the lockdowns or the ramp up was purely technical in nature. Either way, rates moved a little bit lower last week for 10-year yields, and MBS were very close to hitting all-time highs. And that brings up another really interesting observation about MBS and rates and rate surveys. Oh, my. So you hear and see these articles that talk about all-time low mortgage rates. I've probably written 47 of them in my day. And we've seen a lot of them since COVID. And the most recent ones were in bulk last week on Thursday. And you see a bunch of rate articles on Thursdays. You generally want to assume that is due to Freddie Mac's weekly rate survey. What a lot of people don't know about Freddie's weekly survey is that they send it out on Sunday or Monday. And most of the responses come in right when people get it. So most of those responses are going to be based on Monday's rates or late Friday's rate offerings on who's answering the survey and how much, if they're even going to open Monday's rate sheets to look at it, or if they're just going to think about what they could have offered on Friday. What that means is that the number that's released on Thursday ends up being a week-over-week look at Monday's mortgage rates. And that means the survey doesn't capture all of the movement that happens in between at that time. And so they're talking about all-time lows. But they're also talking about all-time lows for purchase rates. As we know, we have the adverse market, and that means that if we weight average rates for refis, actually not at all-time lows. So back to this notion of all-time high MBS prices. We didn't quite hit them last week, and I'm going to say the day that we did hit them, August 4th, was unsurprisingly the day that we actually had the best rate sheets in the history of the mortgage market. Now... It didn't last very long. It's only available for a couple hours on that day. But even for purchases, even if we're not talking about the adverse market fee, unless you have a lender that added incentives for purchase pricing, August 4th, you can still pat yourself on the back if you locked on that day. But otherwise, we're so close now to making it back to those all-time lows that you might as well flip a coin. We're right there. The other nice thing there is we have more room to improve based on margins, but I'm going to need to get the econ data here. The important bullet points would be that retail sales report coming in at 0.3 versus 0.5 forecast on Tuesday. It was also revised down from the previous month 
the previous month was revised down from the previous reading. And then core retail sales, which takes out autos, gas, and building materials, was even lower compared to its forecast and also revised down. Markets seemed to react to that, which was nice to see some connection to economic data. And that goes back to that notion of needing to feel out the economic impacts of COVID in the short term before things give us more reason for hope. Uh, builder confidence crushed its previous record and set a new record of 90. This includes housing wow. green time. So builders are more confident than they ever have been. If it's confusing to anybody why that wouldn't be reflected in housing starts, which also came out last week. The reason I say that is because housing starts aren't at an all-time high. It has everything to do with the fact that builders are building as fast as they freaking can. There's no way to build any faster and the numbers are lower in terms of the construction metrics simply because COVID makes things harder to do. Material costs are higher and there's social distancing issues to work around and I think that all speaks for itself. So builders are ecstatic. The new homes market couldn't be any stronger than it possibly is given the circumstances. Existing home sales crossed expectations, another 14-year high, third time in a row. So home sales numbers have utterly and completely defied expectations for where they would be at this time of year. We expected a big rebound after the initial plummet, but nothing that was remotely this big. Uh, real quick, this week coming up is always an odd week for financial markets. It can go any way, and it isn't necessarily worth reading into any directionality that we see this week because it's often unwound in the following week. We can see volatility due to an absence of liquidity. And sometimes we can see things just go really flat and wait for the early December trading that tends to be a little bit more active, especially with the Fed meeting in mid-December, now really making a change to their bond buying program. They're not going to end up buying more bonds, but they may tweak the duration goals, weighted average maturity, they call it, or WAM. And if they do that, it would be probably a little bit beneficial for longer term rates, but it's hard to say. It depends on the details. We do have durable goods and GDP on Wednesday. Durable goods is a big market mover sometimes. GDP is just a revision of the last reading, so no big deal there. The biggest deal of the week and maybe of the month or year for some clients or people will be on Tuesday tomorrow when FHFA releases its home price data. That's the last piece of the pie when it comes to determining new conforming loan limits. I've spent more time than I care to admit crunching numbers and playing with hypotheticals and looking at trends and home prices. And I'm by no means an expert, but I will say it looks very good for that new conforming limit being at least 550,000. Could be quite a bit higher, wouldn't be much lower. So that should be out tomorrow, shortly after the FHFA report in the morning. Good heads up. We need to be paying attention to that number. That could have a big impact on what volumes are going to be. Absolutely. Incremental increase could have a big impact. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it so much. If you're wanting to check out MBS yeah. Live, be sure to go to the website, mbslive.net. And when you're in there, go put in LOL, look at on Lendy, initials, and you'll not be required to add a credit card, and you'll get an extended trial period. Matt, thank you so much for being here, friend. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, Dave. You bet. Good job. A lot of data today. All right, let's get over to Alice Alvey. Alice.
Ellis, CMB Vice President of Education and Training, Union Home Mortgage, Bill Cosgrove Mortgage and Company. You got this week's bit <laughs> of update. Oh, thank you. I know Bill would correct you on that because he's very good at all partners that we all make up Union Home Mortgage, but he's an amazing man to work for, very visionary, and just a great place to work. That being said, I do want to talk a little bit about everybody's favorite thing. Dave, this shows started and the legislative update really became a thing back in the Dodd-Frank days. We yes, started yes. this in the meltdown. Of course, I'm from Detroit, so we started melting down a couple of years before everybody else. Uh, so I always say 2005, but the rest of the country talks about 2007. In any case, this week, we actually had a case coming out of the ability to repay law. One of the ones we've been watching closely to see when would somebody actually sue in foreclosure because the bank didn't verify that they had the ability to repay. The first time this ran through the lower courts, they ruled in favor of the bank, so I didn't talk about it. But this time we've got the Sixth Circuit ruling against the bank. So I want to get this on everybody's radar. We think it's worth at least talking to your legal counsel about because particular case, the borrower had spousal income coming from a separation or divorce and then also had rental income. And the way it's worded, it's an off-the-wall kind of case where the divorce was verified, but the alimony payments weren't going to start until two months after closing. Now, most lenders who follow agency guidelines pretty well aren't going to let something lag two months. Maybe there's a 30-day lag if you're taking a risk, but most companies are going to say, I want verification of receipt and I want to truly see it being received before closing. And then the second piece was rental income, that the tax returns showed rental income, not from the subject property though, big mistake, and they didn't get a copy of the actual lease for the property. And they didn't verify actual lease payments coming in. And those are the caveats in the way this court ruled that I think are worth making sure there our legal counsels don't think this could get stretched any farther. That legal decisions, sometimes other judges read them to the letter as far as how the case went. And other times it gets interpreted a little bit beyond the way it actually played out in that particular case. So I think our concern is, does this mean every single time I've got rental properties, I can't just solely rely on tax returns. I have to have a lease and I have to have proof of a lease payment to my borrower. That kind of takes it a little extra farther. And we've talked about this back when the law came in, underwriting versus legal reasons that I get certain documentation on a loan. So this was a portfolio bank, you know, what they did, they, but when the loan goes into default, then the borrower comes back saying, hey, it's not my fault. You guys shouldn't have given me the loan. So anyway, just wanted folks to be aware. It's worth taking a look at it. If you put in, it's Elliott versus First Federal Community Bank of Lucyrus. And I just made it through the sixth district with the bank not coming out on the good side. So we'll watch that one for everybody too. We, it looks like a good portfolio loan perhaps that just you now the borrower's blaming us. You know how that goes. Yep. The only other point I just want to make sure for everyone is the agencies did change their self-employed guidelines. We have extra steps we have to go through for self-employed, and now you're going to need to get three months of bank statements, not just two, and that's going to go into effect for applications December 14th. So heads up on that. For those of you working with self-employed borrowers, it's hairy enough as it is, but you do want to make sure you're gearing your customers up that you're going to need that extra bank statement going forward. Some companies are implementing it now, but it's uh, formally December 14th. 14th for applications. That's my update for today, Dave. I'll kick it back to you. 
Very good. Got a question from one of our listeners just sent in to me. If you want to text me questions throughout the podcast, text them to 512-632-2900, We'll get them on the air, or you can send them to LinkedIn. So, Alice, this person says, love Alice's update. One of the reasons I tune into this podcast, which I love, is because of the updates I get from Alice. How do you stay on top of all of this? I get concerned that we and our team are not doing the job and we're grateful for what you do here, but I know there's so much more. So, Alice, how do you stay on top of everything? You do a lot of reading, and then you have to have a discipline. I'll tell you what, the greatest discipline I have is preparing for this radio show, right? So it forces me to go check the Federal Register, check the MBA news link, has the advisory action information on it. So that'll give you what MBA is paying attention to. Then I do get headlines from other agency news publications, the Dodd-Frank Report and many others. There's many good national mortgage news. So you just watch their headlines, and then you have to go do the research. And the other thing I'll say that's super important that we do is we have a weekly meeting with all departments. So it's our policy group, sales is involved, ops, everybody's there representing processing and underwriting. And and everybody has ownership over certain areas of agency updates. So you have to have multiple people who are responsible. You can't just make it one person. Certainly your risk manager is ultimately accountable, but make lots of people accountable. Schedule a regular time that you'll go through it so you can all talk about it. Keep minutes so you don't forget. We have extensive trackers so that we keep track of each of the memos and that we're not losing track of things. You have to go do the research. It helps being on the podcast because it does force you to do some of those things. They wrote back, just said, yeah. They said, I never met Alice Alvey. Can't wait to do that. She is (laughs) so valuable to us here. So thank you for the work you do on all the research, Alice, because it's much appreciated. You've got fans. I can't wait till we can all get back in person soon, right? Yeah, let's plan for summer. We'll all plan an event in the summer and we'll get together. Yeah, hopefully that'll be by then, Alice. Appreciate it. Alan Pollock is here also with another weekly tech update, another popular guy with our listeners. Alan, what you got, friend? Uh, Good afternoon. As you would always say, David, TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. It's funny that, Alice, you said that, right? So there is a discipline you need to be ready each week, and it's on your mind all week long, thinking about what are you going to talk about or what are you going to have ready that next coming week. Sometimes it goes to plan and sometimes it doesn't. And I have Google Alerts set up to send me different messages and certain keywords I search for. And like Alice said, it it just forces you to stay up to date and you know what's going on all the time. I'll try and make you laugh today. I heard this statement. So we're going to talk about QA today and some news. But it is, you won't get hungry unless you take a lick. So that's my teaser into the QA section. Take a lick. QA, QA is the uh, topic, and uh, we're going to get there in a second. But you won't get hungry unless you take a lick. I was looking through, in my discipline, some stuff, and I found this from a couple of years ago. 75% of millennials, people born between 1980 and 2000, I know we think a lot of other people are millennials as well, prefer to go to the dentist rather than to their bank. And that's music to ears for fintech companies. So I start off with this question today. Are you a digital lender? And what does that mean to you? And if the fintech companies, if if a lot of you are considering yourselves a true fintech lender, then you should be excited about that statement from many years ago where millennials would rather go to the dentist than to their bank. And if you're a bank, you better be working on your fintech. So anyways, I thought that was very interesting to start the day off. A couple of quick things in the news, David. Quantarium, that's the name, Quantarium. They announced uh, a partnership with a company called Valigent or Valigent. I'm not sure which way to pronounce it, Technologies. It's basically a brand new collateral valuation model, and they're using all this funky AI and tech. They actually said 
evolutionary programming, neural networks, genetic modeling, mimicking biological processes for the most accurate results. So that's the best press release I've ever heard. But anyways, they have all kinds of stuff. They go down to the zip code county level. They look at all kinds of valuation and they come up with what they call QVM insights. If, if you're looking to integrate with someone or check it out, you want to, it sounds very interesting. TransUnion. So we're talking about moving underwriting along, right? Some unbelievable people we're going to be chatting with today from Candor FinTech. Uh, TransUnion just released their income and employment verification platform, very similar to Equifax. Uh, and they say that they launched it in collaboration with one of the leading payroll providers in the U.S. And it has tens of millions of active employment records updated every month, as we would expect. I'm sure that will continue to expand, especially with the high demand that I don't see slowing down anytime soon. By the way, Form Free, which we had on, was it last week or the week prior? Indycoms has partnered with them, get this, with their ability to pay business health check, meaning that if you have a self-employed borrower, they have the ability to take a look at business and expense streams, all that great data, put it all together, use their Income Genius product, and voila, you have an approved borrower. A little piece of trivia, who created the Income Genius? Tell me. Exciting. Who? Alice Alvey. Yes. No way. Yes. Rachel Harris and, of course, our wonderful tech team over at Indicom uh, as a team. Yes, we built that. I was definitely part of the project team and helping with the business rules. If Alice couldn't prove to be any more dynamic, she is now the FinTech Alice Alvey. So that's awesome, Alice. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I had to give that a little shout out because I know she was smiling. That's great. Very cool. Equifax also has released on their work number product, which is income and employment. The fact that now they call it Mortgage Duo, and you now can do instant verifications on co-applicants. That's really important as we have more applications and we're trying to get things done faster. It saves more time. It's a more streamlined process. So you want to make sure that you're looking at that if you're an Equifax user. A quick reminder on last week, we talked about the process of finishing off 2020, preparing for 2021. And remember, it was the Moscow method. It was must-have requirements that you must have should have requirements that you should have, but not important to deliver right away, could have are things that are desirable, but not necessary. And the things that sales and all the CEOs, the people listening to this podcast sometimes just run into their team saying, I must have, uh, that's what we call won't have. They're desirable, they're great, but they have not been agreed to by stakeholders or the things that are thrown over the fence. Everybody's got lots of won't haves. But I did promise that we'd talk about QA. And really what's really important Remember, there's an acronym we talked about almost a year ago, David. It's H-D-I-M-A-D-P-W-S, and I'll test you on that next week. It's called, How Do I Manage and Plan Tech Projects with Success? And really, it's making sure that you have QA. Even if you're not building the technology, you've got to have that. And today, sales teams are beta testers. QA engineers are given a seat at the table in the requirements phase, right? They're no longer an afterthought. Everything's in the eye of the customer, right? You have one shot to make a best first impression, and you want to make your customers happy, as well as your originators, right? They're your customers, and we talked about that. What's really important is making sure that you have QA defined and part of the process definition. You have them part of the implementation. That means in the meetings with your vendors. That means planning your workflow, making sure that they understand and they ask the right questions. And the more involved you get that QA team, the more a part of the entire process they will become. They are the gatekeeper to you allowing releases to go out to your customers, your users, your LOs, and your borrowers. And even more important, if you're not building technology, but you have all your vendors you're working with, if you said to me, hey, should I buy, should I go get a project manager or should I get a QA manager? I'm going to tell you to get both. And if you have a project manager and you're looking for the next, 
get Acuit, you need somebody that can manage and build that infrastructure of knowledge of how your systems work. You can't rely on your loan officers and your borrowers to be testers. So it's a topic we can go on forever and ever about. There's technology to automate it. There's processes, ways to make QA really easy, but it is so critical and important when we're going to be digital, like we talked about earlier today, right? So if you think about that, don't forget about QA. And with that, David, that's the report for this week. Looking forward to our Candor FinTech conversation. Yes, I am too. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate you. Next week, we're going to have Cindy Danko on with Fannie Mae. Very excited. We recorded this interview with Cindy late last week, and it was really good. You're going to enjoy what all the Fannie Mae has done. The thought that's gone into the, the forbearance program, everything related to how to respond to the pandemic. It's really been really interesting. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Community Mortgage Lenders Association, Indicom, Accelerate, Ainsworth Advisors, Mobility, Finastra, Modex, all these companies. Check out all of our sponsors on our sponsorship page. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.